Guys, welcome back again to the Built for Life podcast. As you know, I'm Mark Strathairn. I'm here with Jane Rolich. And as I said last time, we're pretty much only going to be doing episodes together from now on, which is good. It kind of makes it a little bit different not talking to myself. <laughs> not talking <laughs> even, to the wall. I, even though I know I'm talking to people and people are listening, it's still kind of strange when me and Paul, the podcast guy, are just sitting in here. <laughs> and he's just listening to, listen to me, like my audience. Um, so let's pick up where we left off, um, because if people tuned in last time, they'll definitely know the kind of stuff we were talking about, the problem behind the problem, how minor changes lead to major outcomes, um, and realistically, the beliefs that people have and need to break down to actually succeed things, sorry, succeed at things that they want to in their own life. So I'm well aware we digressed massively. Right? Not like us. Not like us. <laughs> like you'll, you'll get to know that we'll touch on something here and we'll just get down a fucking rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I do realise that we never talked about more of Jen's success major outcomes yeah major outcomes <laughs> um but you have had so much success in your life like from the things you've overcame obviously jen kind of touched on last time she was in an abusive relationship for years was struggling with like ptsd type symptoms like that's something that most people in their life might not always ever have to come across like you'd, you'd pray that they didn't have to come across it obviously you've done a lot of work for women's aid a uh, women's aid women's aid um, and stuff like that as well because it meant a lot to you like it gave you purpose and I know from working with you that when you started to build belief in yourself like you had purpose to prove to yourself that you could achieve things for the person that was like helpless before like you were building tools and you were building the characteristics to give yourself previously what you never had and what you knew you deserved so what else did you go on to achieve yeah I think um it's funny because I think my whole life I've always battled with like self-belief and I think that's a really really common thing like I don't think I've ever come across anyone that hasn't doubted themselves at some point in their life and I think working with them um, coaching clients now in private coaching and group coaching programs it's the most consistent thing that you see come through with people and I think um, for a long time I lived with the trauma of being in an abusive relationship but I didn't know that I had been abused. So mm -hmm. everything that was happening to me, I didn't understand why it was happening. I've battled with mental illness my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I just always made the assumption that it was mental illness. And I can remember um, listening to Paul Mort's podcast when he was talking about, I can't remember if it was when you interviewed him or not, or if Perhaps. he was on another podcast. I think it was when you interviewed him, it was in this podcast. And um, he was talking about how he identified so heavily, might have been his book, it's so heavily with his mental health when he was like my anxiety my bipolar and i was book. like yeah, that yeah. was me like i identified so heavily and attached myself so much to those labels because they were the only thing that gave me that helped me understand understand why it was happening yeah. and it wasn't until i went to therapy 2017 two years after i left and i explained everything to a therapist and he was like you that's domestic abuse you have been abused um, and I was abused in every which way a person can be abused. Yeah. I won't go into grave detail because I recognise that it can be a hard lesson for some people, but any way that someone can be abused by another person, I was. Um, and I don't think I realised, well, I didn't realise until that information was given to me. And then I was just handed that information. And this was therapy in the NHS, so I had six sessions and then that was that. Mm -hmm. And I was given that information and it was like, so go now into the world and continue your life holding this information and it caused such difficulty you know in so many areas of my life and my relationship god love my husband because he's the most patient man he's so <laughs> impatient in so many other areas but was so patient with me and still is to this day because i still live with it and this is the most frustrating thing i think for me about having come from an abusive relationship is that for the most part, most likely my abuser now lives life as if nothing ever really happened. I'm most likely an afterthought and yep. um, not something that comes into his head regularly and seven years later. Probably like he'd done, he'd done nothing wrong. Exactly. Like, like he had no part to play exactly. in it. What he'd done was normal. Exactly. Um, and I still live with the after effects of that because of PTSD, things like flashbacks, nightmares. Don't get me wrong. And I work with an incredible therapist. Um, Jean, Our therapist inside the Belfry program. We are very lucky <laughs> to have. Uh, and Jean has been monumental and genuinely transformational in helping me overcome this. I've never made progress like this in my life with a therapist. Um, sorry to break it to these guys, but she's fully booked. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's fully booked for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only way you're going to be able to get actual... Um, 
like first access, dibs on her. As if you join the program. As if you join the yeah. program. So <laughs> you're going to have to make a decision there. Yeah. Just on that point, because I know Leanne touched on it the other night on her hot seat, as we were talking about in the last episode as well. And we touched on the fact that she was going through therapy with Jean as well. And obviously the insights and the work she was doing, helping her around like abandonment. Um, and obviously issues around her own self-worth, because obviously Leanne knew she was gay from a very young age, but was profusely bullied, had a lot of traumas, um, abuse in her life. So we discussed last time that Leanne had tried to leave the program a couple of times. The first one was basically because she felt as if she was incurable, infixable, like all of these things yeah. you would normally coin yourself as. And then the second time was when she started with Jean and she still had a lot of physical work to do on herself, but she thought all I need to do now is the mental and emotional work. So at that point, I was like, you're disregarding how synonymous these things yeah. work with each other and how they all intertwine. And I remember speaking to Jean, who had actually delivered something on it within the program, talking about the importance. Because the thing is, Jean is within this program for a reason, because that stuff all goes hand in hand. You can't just put one major focus on one. It's almost like a, a scale. Like they sometimes, live in synergy. Yeah, they live in synergy. Sometimes you're going to be focusing more on your physical. Other times you're going to be focusing more on your mental, your emotional. But one thing that is a constant is when you are focusing yourself physically, if it is for the right reasons and you're not falling into like obsession poor yeah. habits restriction all of that sort of stuff like the mental and emotional are just going to be continuously improved upon as you work on the physical because we also get people who say oh i'm just working in my mindset my mindset's improving i feel so much better i feel so much better i've not actually done anything I, but you might still obviously further down the line incur fucking heart disease yeah you know what i mean because yeah. you're so overweight like you cannot say that your mindset is improving drastically and you feel so much better when your weight is not moving if you have a lot of weight to lose because yeah. that is going to put you in an early grave doesn't matter how good your mindset is yeah like if you're unhealthy you will be in an early grave you're like you're taking yourself closer towards like mortality and if you are someone who thinks they're in a good headspace then you should know that you're not in the best position so that's where if you try and bullshit yourself you will try and bullshit us but we mm -hmm. can see it a mile a mile away um, but like I was saying, when it comes to working on the physical alongside the mental and the emotional, how has that been so important for you? I think it was just um, helping me understand exactly what you just said, mm. where I felt like I had to get my mind to the right place before I could focus on the physical work. Yeah. And in all honesty, it happened the opposite way around for me. Yeah. Um, I really had to push my body to its physical limits in so many ways to help me understand actually how much I was capable of and how much resilience I had. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting now sitting at a higher weight because back then I was still very much doing the work that it didn't feel as though, it felt like that was the only thing that mattered and I still very much defined myself by my weight. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I look at it very, very logically. It's not an emotional thing for me anymore. Yep. I look at it very logically and rationally. I can pinpoint for you the exact time that it changed. I know that when I was going through therapy and I was resurfacing a lot of memories that were repressed, which is a great thing now because there are so many things that I can remember now that I couldn't before, but also really, really difficult because in that time, that was so uncomfortable. I was living with my in-laws, saving for a house in my first year of marriage. I was running a business on the side while working full time. Um, I was going through therapy and living with PTSD and living with crippling anxiety, daily anxiety attacks. Of course I fucking turned to food for comfort, mm -hmm. right? It was my only source of comfort. So now I can look very logically at it to say, okay, there are all the circumstances and environments that don't work for me, yep. okay? Here is how I've ended up in this position. Here's what has to be in place for me to be successful. And here's what needs to happen next. So it's no longer a, a very emotional process for me, but that's only because I found this energy in body and mind. Yep. So I know that I can do that because I've done it before. And here are the conditions that need to exist for me to be able to do it. And I think when you can almost sort of create that emotional detachment from what you're doing and just shut the fuck up and do it, because that's exactly what I'm doing now, right? Less moaning more action and yeah. that that's really the position that i'm in at this point because i've done the thinking and i've done the being and i've done the tough work and i've been in therapy weekly for a year yeah. right i've i've really very much done the work but alongside that physical stuff to the best of my ability 
even though my relationship with food still hasn't got to the place I want it to be in, I've still been moving my body. I've still been going to the gym. I ran a half marathon. Like, I still look after my health yeah. as best I possibly can while I navigate this difficult thing. Whereas previously, I was all in or I was all out. Yeah. There was no, it was either my whole focus or none of my focus. Whereas now I feel like I understand more about that synergy in body and mind and making those minor decisions in those moments where it's the last thing I want to do. When it's the last thing you want to do, that's the most important time to do it. Yeah. And I feel like that's the thing that I've learned so much now is that the thing that seems most unattractive at that point in time is probably the place that you need to start. So if you're using that frame of mind of, oh, I just need to work in my mindset first or... You know, the thought of walking in a gym terrifies me. That's where you need to go first. 100%. You have to expose yourself to such an overwhelming level of discomfort that you have no option but to adjust to that environment that you find yourself in. Not only because it gives you that level of exposure, but because it proves to you that it's nowhere near as terrifying as your mind tells you that it is. Yep. And as soon as you can understand that you're only a listener of the thought, you don't have to believe the thought, you give yourself evidence to counteract a thought, yep. it goes away and you start to build this relationship with yourself that you're willing to do the scary. And exactly as you were saying kind of last time, like now when I see those terrifying things, I'm like, okay, great. I freak out, right? Don't get me wrong. Like I'm a human being, still freak out about the scary stuff. I freaked out a lot about the scary stuff over the last couple of years, but with your encouragement, with my husband's encouragement, with family and friends and really my own, like just grow a set of balls and do it. Yep. I recognise that actually the scariest thing always leads to the best outcome. And I can remember over the course of my life, like so many decisions that in each moment didn't seem so impactful actually changed the whole course of my life that I can understand that those minor, those tiny decisions are the most important. They're so much more important than the major ones. And I can remember, I was telling you this um, earlier, but I can remember like when I was younger and my whole life, I was going to um, be a musician. That was going to be my career. I spent my whole life from the age of nine, I would say, till the age of 18, I was dedicated to music. It was my only interest. I would spend four hours a day, every single day, either practicing music theory, playing flute, playing piano, listening to music, doing past papers, right? Like I was obsessed. I was in every band. I was in every choir. I was in every orchestra, um, every after school event, every lunchtime. My whole life was dedicated to becoming a music teacher because I truly believed that that was my destiny. That was my path. Right. It was the only place that I felt accepted. I really struggled to make friends when I was younger and I really struggled to fit in. Um, and it was the only place that nobody really cared who I was. It was where all the other weirdos gathered. <laughs> um, you have to be a weirdo if you're right. actively doing past papers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I belonged, I found my people, I found a passion, I was good at it, I enjoyed it. And my destiny, I thought then, was to go to the conservatoire, which back then was RSAMD. And I got in and I was going and that was that. And at the last minute, for some reason, when I did, you know, when you do like a UCAS application, you apply yes. for multiple different places. For some reason, I'd applied for psychology. I don't know why you couldn't study psychology at my school, um, at higher. I did modern studies, which I enjoyed, but I, I don't, I have no idea why I applied for it. Um, and at the last minute, I decided to go. And I can remember my music teacher at the time. Um, she was Missy Snedden back then, but I don't think that's her name anymore. But shout out if you're listening, Missy Snedden. Um, and I can Get in touch, Missy Snedden. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I want to go back to piano lessons, so if you're free. Um, and they were devastated because they had been priming me. Yeah. You know, and putting me through music exams and all of these and really challenging me and stretching me because this is what I was doing. And they were like, what the hell are you doing? They were devastated. And that would happen quite frequently where kids who had so much musical talent would go and do like a sensible subject in inverted commas, yeah. like law or something like that because they felt that they had to. But for me, it wasn't like that. Something was just telling me to go and I did. And it changed the whole course of my life. I would have hated being a teacher. Like 100%. the confine of that. 
not for me. I don't do boxes, right? If you give me a box, I'm going to find any possible way I can to smash it to pieces. Um, you think you were stressing the NHS? Imagine dealing with kids. Exactly. Especially if the kids were like what I was like at school. Yeah, I would Couldn't have... Couldn't give a fuck about you I'd have swore, I would have swore <laughs> at a kid. I'd have been like majorly disciplined by now. I'd have told a kid to fuck off by this point, right? Um, so again, small thing in the moment, but huge decision. Like the the when I left my abusive relationship we lived together at this point and the abuse had escalated to such a level of severity so quickly because when you live with someone there's no it's eyes constant. on them it's closed doors you are in a box you are in a box yeah. it's closed doors and they can have complete and utter control and i mean he controlled what i wore um like who i seen what i ate how often i shivered the order in which i did things like i cannot tell you the level of control um that was exercised over me and it escalated to such a point that I genuinely felt as though I was in severe danger. I didn't know what was happening to me, but I knew that I was in severe danger. Yeah. Lots of physical aggression, punching walls, just so much threatening, uh, physical threats, you know, um, verbal threats, really, really quite severe. And it was an unremarkable Tuesday afternoon and he was out. I think he was at work. And non remarkable. What did I say? Remarkable? Oh, I, I think it's... Did you say unremarkable or remarkable? I no, think, I think I said, did I say did, unremarkable? Did you say unremarkable? I think so. I, 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 maybe, maybe not. You know what I mean. Um, <laughs> it was like just a random Tuesday afternoon and I spoke to my friend on the phone and I was like, I'm going to leave. And she was like, what? And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to leave. And it wasn't this calculated, thought out decision or anything that people would think it would. Like I'd planned it and researched it and found the perfect moment. All it was was an opportunity. And the opportunity presented itself and I thought, if I don't take this opportunity now, I don't know what's going to happen because it had escalated to such a point that I genuinely believe that if I had stayed any longer, he would have killed me. Like, I don't think I would be alive. And at that moment, I can remember packing my stuff. I put on um, the Travis album, The Man Who, right? Great album. Um, And I said in my mind, I've got from the beginning to the end of this album, to, to pack as much stuff as I possibly can and get out of here as quickly yeah, as I, I can. And we lived in a tower, but it was only the first floor flat. And um, I heard a noise outside and I was like, oh my God, that's him. He's he's come home. And because we only lived in the first floor, the window was open. And I remember thinking, right, if I hear the key going in the lock at the front door, I'm just going to run. I'm going to jump out the window. There's grass underneath. I was like, I can roll onto the grass. I can sprint to my car and I can get out as fast as I possibly can but thankfully it wasn't him but at that moment I was like I just nothing else matters except this opportunity and I left that day I put on flowers in the window which is a great song was on my wedding video Um, and I can't explain the feeling of exhilaration that came over me that I knew in that moment I was free and I didn't ever have to go back and again you would think in that moment to get that level of exhilaration, it would be something that was really calculated and planned and decisive. And it wasn't, it was just an opportunity, right? And I can remember second lockdown, me and you were out for a walk Mm because we started meeting up, going for a walk and getting a coffee and just chatting. And I can remember you saying to me, I was just about to do my hot seat. Yeah. And I can remember, I have a picture, um, because I was in the NHS, and I took a picture of myself. I can't even remember why I was probably sending it to Paul. And um, it was the day before my hot seat. And I can remember sitting thinking, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this job for the rest of my life. Like, I was a committed public servant. The NHS is a job for life, and I believed that. Yeah. So I never seen myself doing anything else because I didn't believe I was capable. Yeah. Plus, due to your background as well, it's like your blueprint of, like, what people tell you you should be doing as a living for your life. Like, Absolutely. The culture we were brought up in, we're very much put in a box, and we believe that there's no other world living outside that. Totally. For what we can achieve unless you surround yourself with the people that you think totally. can make it happen. And I was one of the youngest people in Scotland in the NHS in my profession. Mm. So I got my, my job in a leadership role at 26, and I was told, like, you're very lucky to be in that position, so don't waste it. Yeah. So I was like, all right, okay, well, I need to, like, make the best of it. I need to be good oh, so at it. was just work straight right? away, yep. It's a job for life. You're set for life, and that's what you're told. And I can remember uh, we went for a walk, and you said, why don't you just come and do a talk for one of my guys? And exactly as you said the last time in the last episode, like, I was like, I don't know what I would say. And my job was literally standing and talking to people for a living. <laughs> 
right? But I had such low self-belief and such high self-doubt that I was like, I have no idea what I would say. And you were like, you're like Isa, like for still game. Like you don't stop talking. You're going to have something to say. Can I actually pause you there? <laughs> Just for sheer transparency, she said the same thing when we sat down to record these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, no, but what we talk about? I was like, listen, we can both talk. We'll have a chat. We know what we're talking about. X, Y, and Z. She's like, no, but let me get the laptop. I've got some notes on there. I'm like, shut the fuck up and I just know. put the podcast on. <laughs> and here I am struggling to stop and take a breath. I know, I know. I think, yeah, yeah, I think we're nearly out of time. <laughs> I know, I know. Wrap up there. Um, but I, I just didn't believe that I had anything worthy of being said. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and again, you said, come and just do that one talk. And I now run a whole business that is based off of doing those kinds of talks and doing that kind of work. And I sat on my hot seat. And uh, you asked me to introduce myself and say what I did for a living. And I said what I did for a living. And then I said, I would love to work for myself one day, but that goal is at least 10 years away, like a minimum 10 years, uh, 10 years away. And 18 months later, I was doing it full time. And I think it just goes to show you that those very small things, saying yes to doing that one talk yeah. in your community that I really didn't want to do, that I didn't think was for me, and I really didn't believe it was going to go anywhere, right? No offence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I didn't think... I knew where it was going to go for the get-go. You, know, you I knew. I wouldn't right? have asked if I never knew where you, it was you. going. <laughs> but I couldn't see what you could see, right? Yeah. So in that random opportune Tuesday afternoon, in that one time that I flung in that UCAS application for that course that I wasn't really that interested in, in that time that I came in and did that one talk, those very minor things have changed the whole trajectory of my life yeah. and have brought me to where I'm standing. And I think it's just, you just can never underestimate how big the impact on any any journey, life, a programme of change, whatever it may be, all of those small granular things that in the moment you don't think really matter that much yeah. actually change the course of your whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't agree more. And just while I'm sitting listening to you there, like I'm thinking of, myself in those kind of situations i know we kind of talked about pt career before but i remember like the one time that i started to take my life seriously like if anyone's listened to these podcasts or knows much about me follows me in social media knows me from back in the day i wasn't maybe perceived as the nicest guy but I always knew i was a nice person like i've always been who i am now but just inside but i was always just putting on a front to try and be liked because when i was younger i was bullied had a speech impediment didn't really fit in anywhere i was kind of skinny fat wasn't great at sport i was like the kind of chubby goalkeeper back in the day because i wasn't fat enough to play outfield all that sort of stuff um got into fights often but even my friends do say to this day like you were very unlucky for the reason why these people picked on you yeah you were in the wrong place at the wrong yeah, time it was like wrong place wrong time and i'm not sounding like the victim here because there was definitely some times that i should have kept my mouth shut <laughs> and it was my fault but there was some times where genuinely it just seemed to be a consistent thing but what i took from that is every time something like that happened where i was hospitalized because i was hit with a brick or like people smashed bottles over my head and stuff like this or people jumped me i realized it was all from the environment i put myself in yeah. and that i should not continue to keep entering into that environment because even though i can control how i act i can't control how other people perceive me and it got to the point um when i was younger where i'd stopped hanging around with this crowd that were bad news realistically um, and they'd kind of turned on me because i stopped hanging about with them they all wanted to smash me batter me people who are listening to this aren't from the west of glasgow <laughs> the west of scotland <laughs> sorry and round about the glasgow area hopefully you still understand what i mean by that yeah. um and i had to stay in school at lunch times and all that because i couldn't be at risk the, the school knew about it they were smashing my mum and dad's windows they were just reaping a lot of havoc in my life and i remember to like try and change that i had to put on a front of being strong so i remember i went to the gym constantly from like the age of like 14 to 16 wanted to get fatter i ended up losing all the fat i was like skinny shredded i yeah. remember that um was just doing like loads of sprints running all that sort of stuff and then it got to the point where i thought that you know what i can handle myself now so i kind of got a little bit cocky i was like i'm going to turn the tables here i'm going to be a bit cockier and more confident because that's what i need to be because people picked on me when I wasn't that. So I'm going to like take the game to them a little bit, if that makes sense. Even though I never started fights, I just stood up for myself more, even though I was fucking petrified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that at times, that cockiness would come out more when I was drunk. So I remember there was an altercation, was drunk that time. Um, and there was an issue, which again, wasn't really 
my fault directly, but everyone was fueled with alcohol. And I actually ended up in a kind of bad state that night just from like physical attacks from other people and so on and so forth. And I was basically found by the police um, sleeping against this local bar because I'd managed to get myself out of this house. I was covered in blood. Um, I had to get nine staples in my head because I had a chair smashed over my head. And then I found out afterwards I was getting charged with four cases of assault, I think it was, when really I was the one that was clearly assaulted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because it was this house party and this person's mum came home from wherever they were, and my blood was all over the house. So then they blamed me for it. Yeah. They blamed me for reaping the havoc. And the funny thing is, when I stood up in court, it was one of these people's friends who actually stood up for me to say, this isn't true, he never done that. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that reinforced to me that that was the wrong environment I was putting myself in. Yeah. And that happened for years and years and years until I got the idea. And I remember that when I found out I was going to court, because I went fully to court, I could have went to jail. Um, luckily, I never got found not guilty for it because of the evidence. Um, but I remember straight after that, I remember getting picked up from the sales from my mum and dad at the time. And I remember the disgust and the disappointment in their face. Yeah. And I was still half cut because I was waking up absolutely steaming, concussed staples in my head from this jail cell. Like they'd taken out obviously like the laces from my trousers because they didn't want me to like strangle myself. They took the laces from my shoes. Um, I remember, <laughs> that's so funny, but I remember the guy came around in the morning. Mm -hmm. And said, Timmy, do you want breakfast? Right. And I had an eye, but I don't like any beans, so can I just have some sausage, bacon, and egg? <laughs> <laughs> you ordered a full Scottish like, fry. And this guy threw the, like this mashed up tub of food at me that was like covered in beans, just like all mashed together. <laughs> like I was staying like an Airbnb. But can I send you my dietary <laughs> requirements, please? <laughs> but I remember I found out that um I don't actually even think I found out I was 100 percent going to court at that point. I think when I found out how my mum and dad felt about the situation, how disappointed they were in me. I actually went to Virgin, eh, no, it was a sporter down Hamilton, which turned to Virgin Active, which is now David Lloyd. And I was, what, 16 at the time. I just started my first kind of like part-time job. I'd always worked and grafted from like 11, like the best paper round, like in Hamilton or the top of Hamilton. Don't know who ran the lower parts of Hamilton, but I was definitely based at the top. <laughs> right for it. Um, but I was always taught to like work hard. And I remember I went down there, I was maybe only earning like, £320 a month working part-time from this part-time job and I signed up to go to that gym and it was like £65 a month it was a chunk of my wage mm. and I knew if I hadn't invested heavily in that they wouldn't have kept me accountable to go and from that point it just continued to scale and grow and obviously I was doing call centre work then I decided that the passion of putting myself first and working on myself was something that really made me feel incredible and that I think I could pass on to other people I even like a lot of people don't probably know this and I remember I was actually embarrassed by it back in the day before I actually went to court, I knew that's something I made to do great things in life and I knew I had great qualities and great characteristics to really change myself from what common culture was, like achieve yeah. things differently. And I always liked the idea of working for myself because my dad's self-employed, but he always had to work away. He was like in China for three months at a time. It wasn't really around during my childhood, but I remember um, I think when I'd went through that process of changing my body because I was trying to look strong and you, that was the first time I was like, you've got something in you that yeah. is just other people don't have. Like I could notice other people around me, like even the people that were good at things, they didn't have the same effort. They wouldn't put it in. Yeah. So I remember I went and got a tattoo on my chest in Latin and it means born to achieve greatness. Mm -hmm. And I remember that I was then in INAPA, I think, like a year later. Um, I was 17, I think. So I think that was just before the whole court thing. Um, and people, no, sorry, it was after it. It was after the whole court thing. And I was so um, disappointed in myself for like everything that had happened that people who were asking me what the tattoo meant, I just told them it was something completely different because yeah. I was embarrassed by it. And, Do you know, it's, that's such an interesting point to make because I think this is so, it, it's ready culture, right? Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, um, in Scotland or probably maybe right around kind of Glasgow, Central yeah, yeah, Belt, yeah. We would call anything embarrassing a redneck. Aye. So, like, you wouldn't do anything grown up that was embarrassing or that drew any attention to you. So, anything that was like abnormal, or I think particularly for guys, anything that was like creative, yeah. right, yeah. and wasn't like didn't exist in the confine of that toxic masculinity. Do you know what I mean? Was embarrassing. It was a redneck. So you don't speak about it. You don't brag about your achievements. Yeah. You don't talk about your successes. You don't do anything out with the norm. You get your head down. You do what your everybody else does. 
and you just got on with it. And I think that's such a perfect example is that you knew yeah. you had greatness within you. You knew that you had a level of success to go to that wasn't average. Mm -hmm. And even still, even though you knew that, actually being able to say that to someone else, immediately that ready culture comes in. Don't say that, that's a redneck. Yeah. Like, it's such a shame when you think about how how many opportunities and chances you might have had before then yeah. had you had you been able to speak about this is what i think i'm good at this yeah. is what i'm born to do it's funny because i did actually say it to a few people when i first got it like and i remember the response was like what because i hadn't actually lived up to like the expectation with the way i was acting that's why i was so embarrassed by it yeah. you know because i was like i'm failing myself yeah. but instead of giving into that like i could have just went with that tattoo covered and just fucking settled for a shit job somewhere and yeah. never really pushed myself to a level to do anything that was purposeful to my life but i never i was like you know what you're going to fulfill what you've said yeah like even though you've not got it right like you've still got opportunity to get it right from here and these things are going to distill further lessons into you and i think the Maybe not the biggest, but one of the biggest things that I think people need to become more, more accustomed to, because I know that I do it, I know that you do it as well, because obviously you've taken a lot of my advice over time, is that sometimes when someone who has been through things that you have been through and know what they're talking about tell you to do something, you need to just do it, no questions asked, yeah. and see what the outcome is without asking questions that are irrelevant, going on about all the reasons why you can't do it. Oh, yeah. You know, like, what do you think about that? Oh, I agree with you so much. And I think I, I said this to you recently. I have every excuse under the sun. In fact, I'm not even going to use the word excuse. I have multiple valid reasons for why I am the way that I am. Yeah. Right. I have multiple valid reasons for why I find the things that I do find difficult, why I find those difficult. Mm -hmm. And not one of those reasons changes the action that I have to take to change it. So actually, regardless of the reason for why I experience challenges with my mental health, regardless of the reason why I live with trauma and PTSD and how that influences my relationship with food, all of that has no impact or relevance in relation to what I need to do if I want to change it. And I think if you want to go on the journey of discovering more about yourself, why you are the way you are, that's so you can make peace with that yourself mm -hmm. and so you can learn how to recover from it in the present. And I would encourage anybody who struggles with anything difficult that they get the help that they need, the professional and expertise that they need to be able to heal from it. But there's something to be said for accepting that you can go on the journey of finding out why and healing from that yeah. while still just doing what someone with more expertise and experience is telling you to do. Yeah. And I actually think we live in a world engineered for convenience, right? With so many options, we have never lived in a world that has so much knowledge in it yeah. than we do right now. And I think that's why so many people get so fucking overwhelmed about where to start and what to do. That somebody just coming in and telling you what you have to do is a fucking breath of fresh air, yeah. right? If the person is qualified to do so. Yeah. And I think there's something about accepting that when someone else is qualified and experienced in their field, exactly as you say, and they have done this and they have watched people go through this process multiple times, you're not going to trust them, right? You just have to have faith and courage that you're going to get a try anyway. Now, if it doesn't work, fine, find something else. But every single time in my life that I've felt at a crossroads or that I've been struggling with something... I've been delving deep into my past and trauma and all those things and understanding them. There was no mental capacity left for mm. me to think about f what I was going to fucking eat and when I was going to the gym. I needed you to tell me, Aye. here's what you're eating, here's when you're going to the gym, here's what else you're doing, here's your running plan. Go done. and do it and come back and tell me when you've done it. Yeah. And I think if you are on any sort of journey where you want to transform physically and mentally and you're doing a lot of deep diving exploration into your mental health, your mindset, beliefs. your your past experience, yeah. beliefs, all of those things. That already takes so much energy. You don't have the energy to spend worrying about your gut health or a potential, you know, parasite. maybe food intolerance that might have caused a parasite <laughs> one day down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't have time or mental capacity to think about any of that stuff. That's why people like us exist. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. we can give you that guidance give you that expertise so you can focus your energy and attention back into all of the other areas of your life that need it yeah yeah i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more 
I would love to ask you, what do you bring to the table working with our clients, working with anyone's clients? Like, what is it you actually do? I think for me, I really try to be the person that I needed on my own journey mm -hmm. that I didn't have every single time I tried to do it. I'm not a traditional coach that works in and around the health and fitness industry um, where I'm concerned mostly with, I'm concerned with everything except the physical. Um, that's very much your area, so I'll leave that to you. Yeah. Even um, though you can answer questions on it because you know, like right from wrong now. You yeah, know. if I answer a question, it's from my own personal experience as a yeah, client. Yeah. I never, I would never give advice there professionally because I'm not qualified to yeah. do it. But anything to do with the mental and emotional side of your journey of change is really where I come in. And I think my, in my own experience of going on this journey so many times, I suppose I needed someone to help me understand why my behaviour was the way it was. But most importantly, how do I actually go about changing this behaviour, mm -hmm. right? People give you techniques and strategies and here's how you break a habit and here's how you build a habit. The vast majority of it is bullshit. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for having people who use qualification and education and a, and a solid um, knowledge-based, you know, a research evidence-based approach to helping you do these parts of the mental and emotional side of the journey of change. Because I think if you, a lot of, a lot of coaches do their best to tackle that side of things, but a lot of the time when they're given advice or support, they're speaking from personal experience. So we're if you qualified. can't, yeah. So if you can't relate to that as a client, it's going to be really tough for you. And I think just because you've been through your own journey doesn't mean that you understand someone else's. Mm -hmm. So I think having me in the programme and in other programmes, I really use a strong evidence base based on neuroscience, but help help it to make sense, right? Because there's no point in me sitting talking about theories around the brain and behaviour if you can't relate it back to, but what does that mean for me in the here and now? Yeah. And I really try my best to bridge that gap between what are quite complex theories to here's why this is relevant to you, mm -hmm. here's why you should listen, right? Here's how you change it. Here's why that's important. And I think from the work that I do with the guys in the program, they 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 recognise that I am trying to bridge that gap for them just to help them understand themselves more intelligently. Yeah. Right? Really to help them understand and increase their self-awareness around this is probably why you're finding this difficult. But most importantly, here's what you need to be aware of. And I think people underestimate how difficult the journey of change is. Like, as human beings, we are naturally very, very resistant to change. Yeah. We don't like it. The brain absolutely hates uncertainty, right? Our brain is driven for a need to make sense of things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely loves solving puzzles, finding answers. It absolutely hates complexity. You can learn to become more comfortable with these things and embrace them, but that takes time. Yeah. So if you're going on a journey of change that's already overwhelming, you're challenging beliefs that you've held, for the majority of your lifetime, okay, you're watching 10 onboarding videos about here are all the things that are important. You're trying to do the things that you think are right for you. We're checking in with you saying, how are you getting on? Are you getting through that stuff? That's fucking overwhelming, yeah. right? And sometimes I think you just need someone who can say to you, this is supposed to be overwhelming. Uh, my favourite thing, it probably sounds a bit sadistic, my favourite thing is when people come to me and say, I, I really don't like this, that I really don't trust in this, I really don't have faith in this, I've fucked up, I was doing so well and I've gone backwards and I feel like I've failed and I'm like fucking great. Aye. I am so glad that you are here because I know that you've moved through the first phase of change yeah. because if you didn't feel that way, six, eight, ten, twelve weeks into your journey, then you would be the first human being in history that's gone through change and not found a difficult bit. And if you're going to fail, I want you to fail. We say this to people all the time. We want you to fail monumentally, yeah. right? We want you to fuck up beyond measure and fail really, really badly because what lies in there is something that we can't teach you, right? It's your own experience of how hard that is, how frustrating it is, knowing that you're capable of more, but at that point also knowing that there is only one way and it's up. Yeah. So when you get to that position that you understand, I'm capable of better levels now because I've done it mm. and I'm back here in this old place that I used to be. I don't fucking like it here anymore. I don't want to go back there. And through your journey of change, if it takes you a year, I want to see at least three times 
where you fail, fail spectacularly. Yeah. Because each time something new happens, the first time you don't see it coming, it's unexpected and you're angry at yourself. Hits you hard that time. Oh, because you're, you're so frustrated because at that point you've created an expectation that this is just the way that your life is going to be forever. It's going to be perfect now, yeah. right? It's sunshine and rainbows and I'm doing everything. I'm committed. I'm high energy. I love all of this. This is great. I found all the answers, right? You think you're in that new beginning and everything's rosy and then you go to your first night out and you're like, right, they've messaged you the day before and sent you the menu, Mark, what am I eating, what am I drinking? We give them their guidance. We have ample trainings yeah. on how to manage social situations, all that kind of thing. So they go in with their plan. They've had their chicken and veg at lunchtime. They're having four gins and slimline tonic. They know what they're ordering for the menu and they go and it's a set menu. And there's three bottles of wine on the table and they're handed a glass as soon as they walk in yeah. and it goes tits up from there, right? <laughs> they have the set menu because they don't want to be awkward and order something off the a la carte. How annoying are those people that ask for everything separate, right? <laughs> I am that person. Um, I don't want to cause a fuss. I'm not going to order a drink if there's wine on the table, right? Yeah. They go with the flow. Before they know it, it's three o'clock in the morning. They're looking for an after. Right? That's the end of it for the weekend. And they come to us on Monday with their tail between their legs going, I have ruined all of my progress. 100%. Right? Or they don't come on the Monday and yeah. they ding you until the Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. And you know that space and silence because you see the behaviours. It's like that person usually gets back to us within... At least 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. And I've not heard fair for 72. She's still alive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> still alive. And, they, and it's funny because at that stage, people will project. Yeah. So because they feel so much shame and guilt within themselves, I think we will too. They, they expect us to, to think that too. Now, you particularly have coached hundreds of people across the years, right? Yeah. If you were feeling you know, anger and frustration at every single person who did that. You would have no emotion. You would be in a padded cell, right? (laughs) You wouldn't be able to function. Um, So they project that onto us. They project, you must be so disappointed in me. I know I've let you guys down, right? We hear a lot of those phrases. And at that point, our response often is great. I'm so glad that you're here. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that this has happened to you. What have you learned from this? Where did it go wrong? What has to happen the next time? Because we know... This is a huge opportunity for you. The second time it happens is when you're in that high flying um, stage of this is where I, like everything's fine now. That was a long time ago. You've probably operating maybe on like an 80% consistency, 20% flexibility model yeah. where you can have a bit of flexibility now, but you manage to control it. Yeah. Things are starting to feel habitual and routine and behavior based, right? And you go into these same situations with the plan but you you know you can rely on the plan you know you can execute the plan mm-hmm. and then a life event happens it might be a loved one who's ill and in hospital it might be that your kids are not well it might be that you're having issues in your relationship you might have fallen out with a friend you might be severely under pressure at work right yeah. and a big life stressor comes to stress test the resilience of your habits and behaviors mm-hmm. right and at that point either life wins or you win right at that point i would say what say six months in eight months in most of the time life wins right and at that point you're like how the fuck am i here again right and at that point we learn okay so what has to exist for you to sustain these behaviors they've been stress tested we've seen what sticks so your steps might have stayed consistent you might have still found time for the gym but food went out the window so we know that's where we need to focus your work now. That's where your energy and attention has to go because that other stuff's down, but this bit is the, is the last bit. The third time it happens is the most difficult because it's the one you never see coming. It's the one that creeps up on you out of almost nowhere. It's not an event or it's not a specific situation, but gradually over a few months, you get into this state of disillusion that you don't even notice it until you see a picture of yourself you see yourself in the mirror, mm-hmm. you go to the gym, yeah. right? You don't even notice it, it creeps up on you. And at that point, what happens is you get to a place of acceptance. You accept that this is a way of life and the outcome actually no longer matters. The outcome is what drives you and what pulls you forward and the milestones you set along the way are the things that help you chart the course. But ultimately you understand that this is a journey that I will be on in the rest of my life. And once you get to that place of acceptance, 
that's when people really, I think, start to fall in love with the process yeah. because they recognise if I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, I have to not hate it and I have to not see it as a temporary thing. Yeah. And that for me is where people do become what we say like built, not born. Yeah. That's where people actually take the step away from being average to being a high performer. And at that point, I think it's so crucial that people, and I think maybe they do accept it at this point, but they stop comparing their high performance standards mm -hmm. against other people's average standards. Yeah. And this is something that I watch happen to people all the time where they are operating at a really high performance standard and other people question it because it intimidates other people. 100%. Right? It shows up what they're not doing. Yeah. And at that point, people very often will compare their high performance standards with average standards and allow it to, give, to pull themselves down and give themselves permission to pull back. And actually, if you want to live at that standard, you have to maintain it regardless of what everybody else is doing. 100%. That's why having a community of people doing it around you is so important because what is what is you know high performing in the general world is our standard yeah yeah and if you don't have that in your world because that's the thing it's like the general world has a standard when it comes to culture but then you've got your world the people that you're spending 99 percent of your time with and how they how they like to be communicated to how they like to pretend things in their life are all well and good how they like to maybe hold a lower standard for themselves and make out that they enjoy the life that they're living even though potentially they may be living quite unhealthily they're all just stories and the more that we there's a, there's obviously like a great saying like if you hang about with five million years you'll be the sixth you know yeah. and the thing is the shocking research when it comes to like obesity is like if you've got someone in your direct circle of influence you're 20 percent more likely to become obese if you've got a friend of a friend you're 15%. If you've got a friend of a friend of a friend, you're 10% still more likely to become obese. It's like It's mad that that's how impactful the chain reaction is. And that's why now in life, the majority of the time, 90% of my time, I spend it with high performing people. Yeah. I've got three different coaches for three different things that I see as mentors, but friends, because that relationship is built with them. And a lot of the time, I will pay them and not speak to them the majority yeah. of the time. But I know that they're there. And yeah. the environment that they've created for me is essentially what makes me continue to pay them. Because I know that in itself does so much for my standards, for my growth. It makes me a small fish in a big pond instead of like a big fish in a small pond. It makes me feel like I'm starting maybe from scratch again if I'm reinvesting somewhere new. New stuff is coming out all the time and people who implement it and see results from it then inspire me to then do the same. Make me put a bit of a rock at Mars to make a difference and make change because I know each and every single time it sits in my head and there's an open loop, I'll get more frustrated with myself when I'm not implementing something that's working incredibly well for someone else that I know I want for myself. And it is that environment it's not the people necessarily. It's what the people have been able to create. Yeah. You know, absolutely. it's like even though the people are inspirational and I, I'm so thankful to have them in my corner, it's not always just the time I spend speaking to these individuals or the time I have training with them or whatever it may be. It's actually the conversations that I have with other people within similar communities that are doing great things that I can then learn from because yeah. this individual in each area has made it happen. You know, they brought yeah. all these incredible people together to learn from, to support, to challenge, um, to add value to. And that's what we are trying to do here. Like, essentially, in the Built for Life program, this is a, I like to see it as more of a movement than anything else. Yeah. Like, I am not going to settle until this program is the best program for mental and physical mastery when it comes to high-performing people in the UK. Like, yeah. I won't stop. And it's already getting to that point currently where we are yeah. i don't mind saying that because there's not many people who can operate on a consistent almost 90 client basis doing the sort of work that we do yeah. within the industry there's no one else that will go to this level of diversity yeah. with their approach because one minute we can be talking about the physical then something else comes up and we can be so far afield from that um and we need to operate at a high standard to be able to do that so many people say to me like the with the work you do how do you still manage to do everything for yourself when you're holding that emotional baggage for other people yeah i'm like simple because i perform highly with my standards yeah i keep them grounded um whereas other people might not be able to handle that like i don't yeah. get triggered by other people's stuff you know what i mean i work on creating an environment and working on myself to the point where i don't get triggered because it's our responsibility to manage our triggers yeah, yeah. so and you don't make 
their baggage, your baggage. Because it's not my baggage. You stand beside them and say, let's open the bag together. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, it's not, and that that's that's what coaching is, right? There's a really common misconception that for you to be able to coach someone on something, you have to be the expert. And the thing is, is that when you're teaching and mentoring, mm -hmm. yes, absolutely, yeah. you do have to have expertise in your area when you're doing that. But when you're coaching someone, you're just an additional brain trying to figure out the same question, right? Exactly. And when you're coaching someone, you don't need to understand what's in the bag any more than do they do, right? Never ever assume that the brain that contains the problem doesn't also contain the solution. 100%. That person has lived with that problem for a very long time. If there was an obvious and immediate strategy or solution, they would have found it by yeah, now, yeah, yeah. right? And I think a lot of people who work in this kind of role take real... Um, take real pride in their ability to solve people's problems and give people solutions. And actually that's one of the worst things that you can do to keep someone stuck. Yep. They have to find out their own solution they need to, think to their own problem. Yep. They do need to think for themselves. And I think that's one of the things that we stay very strong on is that even when there is a time and a place for action and advice and when it's appropriate, we will give it. When we're dealing with more complex issues and challenges, and someone wants us to work through them, work through them with them on that. That's when we have to be coaches and we have to say what is important about this to you and how do we explore this together? And I think it's funny because when you were doing this with me, you probably didn't even notice that you were doing that, right? But you were the first PTE, as you were back then, you're not now, who asked me a question, <laughs> right? So many of them just told me what to do told me what was wrong with me, told me what my problems were. Like, they were telling, 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 telling. Nobody ever asked me a fucking question, which was, how have you arrived at this point in your life? Yeah. Why do you think that you're here? What do you think is holding you back, right? We're not taught to think for ourselves and actually being forced to think for myself meant that I was able to unlock those answers that were always there. Yep. I just had to work through them. And you know, they actually say the secret to not aging is keeping your mind busy. Yeah. So if we're constantly always being told what to do and we're not trying to problem solve, like you said, that the, that the brain loves to do, then you're actually diminishing your ability to perform highly sooner. 100%. And the likelihood for you to get to a point in your life that you've not unlocked this clarity around what life can truly be like through higher levels of thinking, paradigm shifts, like thinking in a new way, yeah. making new connections neurologically to actually see that things don't have to always be the same as they have been. Or that sometimes the answers that you need have actually always been right in front of you. You've just had to think from a different perspective or take a different bit of action or speak to someone differently to actually see a different perspective or get their perception on it. It's quite, it's quite scary how it can have such a profound impact, but also yeah. so incredible at the same time. Yeah. And there's actually so much research being done around the brain, of course. And obviously, if you don't keep it occupied, if you don't keep working on it, the sort of diseases and illnesses that you can you can ultimately be left with over time. Yeah. And if people want to live longer, and I know that's why people don't go on this journey, right? They don't think of the longevity. Yeah, they can't put it in a context. Exactly. Me, I'm always 10 years ahead. Like, why am I doing this now for me in 10 years? Me in 10 years will have other reasons for what he's doing at that point for another 10 years. Yeah. But I'm very clear on my values, very clear on my goals, very clear why I'm doing this. And yes, people will argue that you're not really living in the moment. I take the time to live in the moment when I need to. But I know that if I live too much in the moment and I just have an easy, easy approach to things and I remove the urgency, I'll no longer be hungry. And when yeah. I'm not hungry for something, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's like the people that we all speak to that are happy with the progress they're making, but their progress is not good enough. And let me frame that in a way before anyone takes a fucking hissy fit. <laughs> right? Because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone's progress is good enough if you're moving in the right direction and taking one step forward. But what is not good enough is pretending to yourself that the progress you've made is ample enough to live up to the principles to actually achieve the result that you want. So for example, if you are pretending to yourself that you are in a calorie deficit to lose body fat, yes, you may be eating better. So you may be eating the same amount of calories to maintain your weight, but potentially the composition of those calories is better. So you will feel better mentally, physically. You will maybe feel a little bit fitter, even though you've not dropped the weight. But it's not about feeling better. It's about getting the weight off for your overall health. Yeah. And it's about, again, having those paradigm shifts and creating those levels of thinking that you never previously had through pushing yourself to new levels. And you'll never actually get there until you try. Yeah. And until you succeed. And I think it's an easy way because human beings are mass manipulators. 
people yeah. will know if we value being compassionate, if we value if we value things that will essentially allow us to let them off the hook, they will try and use that with us. Yeah. Because they'll be like, you know what? Yes, I know what you're saying. I've not progressed, but I have done all this. Be happy for me. Yeah. You know, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't challenge me on this. Yeah. But again, we can see right through people. Yeah. And you have to create urgency. Like if there's no urgency to why you're doing something, there will always feel like infinite time. And if you don't set goals within let's say a 90 day period you might have to work for a year to achieve your goal but you should have like a 90 day goal that you're working on the less time that you achieve that goal within a 90 day period the less likely you are to achieve it yeah so there needs to be urgency there can't feel like unlimited time and the only time that people ever don't find value in a service any longer say that they can't afford it anymore any of this stuff is when they no longer see the value in it from the results that they are getting totally when people say they can't afford something it is absolute bollocks that they don't find the value in it yeah yeah as simple as that absolutely i totally agree and i think if you're giving yourself 12 months yeah and you know you've got 12 months like you said this to me before like you will fill the time that's available right 100% so you're going to like you could dick about for eight months and then create four months of urgency and achieving your goal which fyi is what i did when i was losing weight for my wedding yeah yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and i think what's really if you're going on major monumental change and you truly want to transform your life what's more important than the goal is the milestone right milestones are the things that pull you along the way to a goal i will never take any if i work with someone privately in one-to-one coaching i will never take anyone through a change that they want to achieve without agreeing the milestone for where they're at at that point in time right if your goal is if your goal is 10 and you're currently operating at three Mm -hmm. 10 is irrelevant the only place your focus should be on is four right nothing else matters about how you get from uh, uh, except from how you get from three to four yeah. that's it Ten's inspirational right it's a reminder of why you're doing it but your only focus should be how do i get from three to four if you want to lose five stone your only goal should be how do i lose half a stone in this first month yeah. right the rest doesn't fucking matter because it's so so crucial that you pull yourself along the way with those milestones it's important that you have those milestones for the rest of your life right yeah i know for a fact that if you didn't bully me into signing up for more half marathons i do bully her by the way right well. <laughs> i would never run another day in my life because i know that i need purpose behind it to be able to justify yeah. it to myself because i'm not yet at the point that it's instinctive and i have been running now for what a year and a half yeah right so it's going to take time for this thing to become habitual and second nature sometimes it's going to take another purpose for why you're doing it to be able to pull you forward and having those milestones to reach for means you give yourself the ability to celebrate the success when you get to it but also have a metric for progress right so you might feel like you're doing well but actually do your numbers match up do your metrics match up where is the evidence that justifies the feeling right because we do it in reverse when we feel good and we step in the scales and it tells us that we've not lost any weight or that we've gained weight the feeling leaves 100%. we do it in reverse right do it the other way right if you're feeling good then or you're feeling like you've progressed or you're feeling like you've done better then check your metrics and say does this actually correlate right yeah. can i continue to move forward don't use scale weight as a metric to punish yourself and beat yourself up but actually evaluate your progress and know yeah, 51% of those decisions will eventually, in the right way, take you where you want to go. So we're about a hell of a lot slower than 75%, yep. right? So don't expect, don't create an expectation of a change that comes with 75% of the right decisions when you're only doing 51. Exactly, exactly. And I actually spoke about this at one of the open offices with the guys a few weeks ago, and I broke it down into so like so many simple metrics for them to understand how they're already starting behind every single year for their success so if you think about it you have four weeks of holiday per year on average from your work so let's say you use them you go on holiday every time and you don't really think about how you're going to approach it then let's say you've got your weekends so in 2023 there's 52 saturdays 53 sundays 105 days straight away then you could have two weeks of sick across the course of the year seven unforeseen days so things that can just happen out the blue and there was another few things that went in there that were common problems and common challenges throughout the year that could halt your progress and it worked out that it was between 49 to 55 percent that time made up of your entire year already so you're already working if you approach your weekends like that if you're taking two weeks sick if you are 
using your four weeks holiday just to go fucking teetotal or no able able not teetotal yeah. <laughs> you won't go teetotal after going able more than likely then ultimately you're starting at a disadvantage if you then only work at 51 percent, right really of your entire year that's only 25 percent. yeah right so 25 percent of your year to make the progress that you expect yourself to want to make it's not going to happen yeah and then your expectation so high it doesn't live up to it so then therefore you're depressed you're down you're unhappy you are probably a little bit you become resentful. yeah you become disenfranchised for a process yep. you're not even applying yeah exactly exactly and this is why time and making use of that time is so important because time will pass and you'll be in the same position a year down the line 100 percent. Like, it always passes you by i know like i'm nearly 30 you are 30 <laughs> I <don't>. i'm lucky <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting it i'm doing my blue rinse and... <laughs> i know i know um but do you want to say anything to the guys as a roundup before we um end this podcast i think for anyone who is potentially thinking about beginning a journey or who maybe comes from similar experience to me and is thinking about going on this journey again, the only thing that I want to leave you with is the recognition that if it's not worked for you in the past, it's not going to work again this time, yeah. right? If you have a binge eating disorder and you are focusing this year on how you heavily restrict, it ain't going to work. Binge and restrict coexist. One does not exist without the yeah, other, yeah. right? If you restrict, binge is inevitable and vice versa. So recognise that if it hasn't worked for you before, it's not going to work for you this time. Find a different way and find a different character. Find a different approach. Yeah. Find a different person who will approach this differently this time than you ever have before, yeah. right? If the way that you've done it before, do it opposite, right? Try and be someone different or take a different approach than you have before to this new thing. But if you're trying to do the same old shit with the same old attitude, it ain't going to work. You're going to find yourself in the same position this time next year going, how am I here again, right? Don't do it again. Do something different. Boom. <laughs> if we could drop these mics, I would. <laughs> no, they're too expensive. Aye, they're too expensive. They're definitely too expensive. Um, so guys, we're going to round up there. We will be back next time with some more gold. If you can, tag me, tag Jen on Instagram. Her handle will be coach.with.jen. <laughs> if you can catch up with that. You can find her through my page anyway. But guys, share the podcast. Um, drop into our DMs and tell us what your biggest takeaways are. Absolutely. Ask for advice. We would love to hear from you. Let us know if you resonate with my story, Jen's story. Like We're always here to have conversations with you. And I think people very often look at individuals like us on social media and think, oh, you know what, they're quite scary to reach out to because they do have this perception of what we're going to be like. But hopefully these podcasts debunk it a little bit and it gives you the courage just to take that step forward and ask for even just a little bit of advice so we'll round off there guys we'll see you next time and jen it was so good to have you thanks for having me back see you guys <laughs>